0: Hey, what is up guys? Welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast hosted by your boy right here, Anthony Spada. And on today's episode, I am joined by no other than also Philly local, Mike Milner. Um, this one was pretty cool. We go into some dope things that he actually talks about, which is neurotype training, fear of failure, cost of and fear of doing Um, what to do when clients beat themselves up, and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. But before we get to it, as you guys know, the Ace of Spada podcast and myself have joined up with Morphogen Nutrition, the best supplement company in the world. You can use code SPADA to get a discount, and the link to their website is down in the show notes. Also, I got a few coaching spots open. Uh, For online coaching, you get weekly accountability, And all that other jazz, customized nutrition training, 24-7 access to me. So, if you guys are interested, go fill out the application in the show notes. Other than that, I don't want to waste any more of your time. So, let's get to the episode. Let's welcome on, Mike Milner. Wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. Um, I think... It was pretty cool to find out that you were from Philly area. Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting. I work with uh, Chase Tuning. So, and then I also do NCI. So it's like everybody I've kind of met has come through those, t- those two type of things
1: and outreached out to basically everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Chase is a great guy. And then, you know, Jason is doing some incredible things at, at NCI. So, you know both of them. Uh, It's pretty fun. I have, I have similar experiences and just being connected with so many amazing people through, uh, through their networks. So it's, uh, it's definitely awesome to connect.
0: Oh yeah. And you're doing some pretty cool things too with Jason, aren't you?
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. So we're actually doing a a certification together uh, in September, which is pretty awesome. I'm excited about it. It's been something that we were working on for, well I've been working on it for at least the last two years. And then I talked to uh, Jason about it. A little over a year ago and so we finally got all the pieces together to to put that out
0: that's sick to kind of to kind of even just like he answers so many dms but even just to talk to him it kind of like like i talked to him for the podcast like back in march and he's just like it just boggles my mind like how busy that man is and how like he's just like on the ball about everything and he's yeah. like yeah yeah cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah he always uh he definitely has that that ability to just go and uh not shut down ever but um yes he's uh he's always always bringing the fire for sure and then how's your how's your
0: podcast going i
1: know you run one um kind of what's your experience like with podcasting yeah so i'm i'm uh in the hundreds now so i just Did my 100th episode maybe two weeks ago or something like that yeah so it's been uh i love it it's my preferred method of of communication and of consuming information i just i love the whole platform so it started out really as like a whole selfish endeavor just because i have i'm very long-winded i like to write in long form but like with social media it's typically you know you kind of have to keep it short and so for me to just turn on the mic and be able to go on a subject it's uh i've, I've been loving it and it's uh it, it's it's cool to how it's grown pretty just you know slow and steady and you know getting just seeing more and more people download the show and subscribing and it's uh it's been very rewarding
0: yeah i think that's a, the coolest thing is just hitting play on like on just hitting on the record button it's just like hitting that and then you just speak like i'm doing a new I'm doing a new series now where I do kind of like this Monday sit down type thing. So I do just like a quick 10 to 15 minute topic type, uh, John. And it's just like, whatever I speak about, I speak about and it's kind of just, I do it straight raw. I don't edit anything. It goes from that recording on Sunday to Monday morning. It's out. And it's just like, I think it's, I find podcasting to be therapeutic. Yeah, definitely. I've said this multiple times, like just speaking out your thoughts is like a brain dump. Even if I don't release anything and I click record and I kind of have it just saved. It's just my brain dump yeah. of ideas.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I said it's kind of like it was a selfish thing for me because it was therapy. It was like I just need to get some stuff out of my head and, and out. And even if nobody was going to listen to it, it was really just for me to, you know, like you said, have a brain dump and and just talk about stuff that was on my mind
0: yeah i can't even, i can't even think about it. i'm almost a year in so i'm two months away from a year by the time this episode will be out it probably will be a year um which is kind of cool to think it's like oh, like that's like it's like started so long ago it felt so long ago it was last august and i'm like oh crap
1: yeah like yeah.
0: but i'm only at episode like 35 by the time we're recording it right now like just releasing episode 35 uh it's been a wild ride. I yeah. will say, I think podcasting opens you up. I don't know if you experienced the same thing, but it opens me up to many more conversations with people. I wouldn't have typically been able to talk to.
1: Yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's like an easy way to connect with somebody and, and offer them something and, you know, reach out to people that you may have thought would never give you the time of day. And, and most of the time, Um, I really haven't, maybe one or two where people are like, no, I'm not going to come onto your show. But most of the time people are like, you know, very receptive to it.
0: Yeah. That's what I've gotten a few, but they're more from like the bigger names. Yeah. Like I think one person, uh, I always, I always do this example. One person I reached out to was Ryan Mickler, Mm -hmm. uh, from order of man. And I was like, just back in November when I had like no downloads, I had like, I think like 400 downloads overall. Yeah. I was like, cool. You want to just come on my show? He's like, No. He's like, he was like, I'm really busy, but he's like, maybe ask me in a few months. If you grow a lot, ask me. Um, so grown to over 5K. So I might have to reback back around him and re-ask. Yeah, um, definitely. It'd be pretty cool to get him on. Um, yeah, for sure. But I kind of want to go what you're kind of known for. Um, one big thing is kind of the personality diet. So can you get more into that? Like what it is, um, how you developed it, um, why it's so significant for people? And let's, let's just start with that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So like the whole basis for the personality diet is really just trying to help people understand the individual nuance that goes into nutrition. And really it was kind of like my way of fighting against the diet industry, uh, from my own personal journey. And then from dealing with thousands of clients who've gone through similar paths that I went through. Uh, you know my background was you know chronic dieting uh, challenges meal plans stuff that would get me a temporary result Uh, and then i would always rebound and kind of start the process over and it was frustrating and even when i got into more of like the Uh, macro based approach, I started seeing companies out there that were all about algorithms and calculations. And it was like just treating people like a number. And so the personality diet was really like for me to help people understand that there's so much more that goes into it, that it doesn't need to be that complicated. But if you want long term results, you actually have to care about who you are as a person, your personality type, your lifestyle, the habits that you have, the things you value, you know, your social life, uh, whether you like to travel or not. There's all these different, you know, variables that we have to consider. So um, I wrote the book, The Personality Diet, to kind of put in the framework as to, you know, what are the things that we should be paying attention to and how can we factor those in when we're creating a dietary protocol to make sure that it lasts, to make sure that the results actually stick and that we're not going from diet to diet to diet. And it's really, um, the end, at the end of the day, it's to create a lifelong solution versus being somebody who goes from program to program. And the unfortunate part about it is that the diet industry is more profitable the more that people fail. So there's really no incentive for a company to teach you the tools to manage things on your own, which is where I wanted to fill that gap and be like, if we actually teach people how to fish, um, I don't look at that as, oh, well, I'm not going to make as much money because people are going to be successful. I look at it as I'm going to impact more people. Cause if I teach somebody how to fish and give them a lifelong solution, they're going to tell more people about it. And, it. and that's the most important thing. Like how many lives can we actually change? And so that's my long winded explanation of how and yeah. why the, the personality diet came to be.
0: Yeah. And I think there's the thing too with when you look at it. I have a client right now that's gone from, she's gone from lifting and then it kind of like drifted off, but she's wanted to increase her performance with like cardio and stuff like over the quarantine. Like that's her goal. And I was like, that changes the whole thing. And that's where I kind of found you and like the personality diet is like that, that one little kind of habit switch of what type of workout she's doing changes the whole way to which I have to set up her macros and set up all this stuff for her and kind of teach her a new set of habits that she needs to implement by actually changing up just even the workout program.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then we kind of filter everything through the lens of sustainability. Um, so, you know, like you said, there's, there's one little habit that, that can kind of set off this, this butterfly effect, but, um, even within you know, a certain individual, uh, we may have what we think is, is the best approach, but if they can't adhere to it, then it's not effective. So I always think about like when people define success and I'll always ask this question, you know, what did you try in the past and was it successful? And a lot of times there's this misconception of, oh, well, I tried, you know, throw out any sort of protocol. I tried paleo, I tried Weight Watchers, I tried keto and I was successful and I lost weight, but then I gained it all back. So they're still associating with success, even though they couldn't sustain it. So one of the things that I want to do is, is kind of open up that conversation that if you couldn't sustain it by definition, it wasn't successful.
0: Yeah, I think the hardest part, especially too, with sustainability when it comes to diet, I think the biggest thing is probably something along the lines between people always look at having a coach as a meal plan, or ma- and they don't really look at the thing as like when coaches give them macros, as sustainability like a lot of people always just expect to have a meal plan tell them what exactly to eat when exactly to eat it um, that is 100 depending on your goals it might be sustainable like say if you're a bodybuilder and you want to get ready for a show and you want and you have a coach who's who typically deals with bodybuilders you may get some sort of meal plan from it ju- if they are an rd just to have that one out there guys uh, if you need a meal plan, get an RD. Uh, but it's just objective based on your goals. I think that's also something like like meal plans. I never truly accept them with most of with any of my lifestyle clients because it teaches nothing. Yeah. But macros is so sustainable for people, and I found success through it. I find more success for myself being more regimented, but that's just me. I basically create a meal plan out of my macros which is kind of the interesting thing. Like that's how people usually seek success is once they uh, get like, they find the best thing to hit their macros. Then it's like, they basically do that on repeat for a while and then they change things up. I think that's probably the best way I've
1: seen success at least so far. Yeah. And I think even within macros, there's so many different applications. Uh, So for for certain people, they do really well, depending on personality type with the same set of macros across the board. Uh, They love the repetition. They love the structure. They don't like to have to figure things out on the fly. There's other people, you know, based on their personality type where uh, they don't want the same. They want more of like a, you know, high carb, low carb day or training versus non-training or, you know, we have five days at the same numbers, and then we're going to do a two-day refeed. There's a million different You know ways that we can apply macros based off of individual context so again coming back to sustainability and then for for a lot of people it's it's typically the mindset around macros oftentimes people look at it as a as a chore or something that they have to do i look at it as an educational tool so you're learning about you know measurements and what's in your food and portion sizes and how certain foods fit with your you know make you feel and uh you know move your body composition in a certain direction then once you have the education around that you can start to pull back Um, so a lot of times it's like, well, do I have to track forever? Like you don't have to track anything if you don't want to, it's just, you know, taking some time to learn. Um, and then, you know, what I find is gradually kind of pulling back for certain people uh you know maybe it's giving them you know a day off and then two days off from tracking and then you know how do you manage when you don't have the numbers you know does that create anxiety and and maybe if it does we need to to lean into that a little bit because you don't trust your intuition and and that's another skill that we kind of have to go down so um, i look at all these things as just uh, developing different tools for the toolbox and then knowing which one is going to get the job done based off of the individual
0: Yeah. Now, when you start with someone, um, I know this is a process. A lot of people always take different routes and it's kind of interesting to hear, um, when you start with a client, what do you typically, what do you typically look like when you prescribe something, do you automatically figure out their macros? Is that the first thing you go? Because honestly, the first thing that I look at is like, you mentioned their mindset. Like that's, I always go, I always go mindset, nutrition, and then body. Because usually those two, add, those two first two add together equal what your body's going to look like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that the mindset is the most important piece. Um, What I like to do is start people exactly where they're at. And a lot of times that's a hard sell because if somebody's like, you know, I'm at point A and I want to get to point Z and I'm like, hey, we're going to start at point A. And they're like, well, that doesn't seem very exciting. (laughs) (laughs) But you've tried, like if you think about what you've tried in the past and just the nature of like. New year's resolutions and 30-day challenges like that's literally starting at point z and it's not sustainable you're trying to bite off everything all at once so it's like i'm going to go from you know not working out not tracking macros you know not walking not drinking water and now i'm going to take on everything all at once uh we know this from from the literature that it's just not sustainable uh, so when we look at like habit creation and be- behavior change and sustainability that All happens much more effectively if we take it in smaller chunks. So, for certain people, it can be, you know, we can take on two to three things at once. For certain individuals, it's literally just one thing. What's one thing that you can do? So I always look at like, what are, what are you currently doing? And what's the smallest change that we can make now that's going to yield the biggest result? Um, I always, the like overarching principle is always mindset oriented because I know that if we ignore that, then um, if their mindset doesn't come around, then all the work we're doing is kind of irrelevant for the most part. Um, so we can, we can get a temporary physical goal, um, but if we take care of the mindset first, then it's just more likely that they're going to be in it for the long haul and and start to remove some of these, uh, you know, arbitrary dates and finish lines. Like like nutrition, fitness, health. There's no finish line to it. But oftentimes we go in with an objective deadline. Like I have to do this by this date. Uh, you know, you, you've got the rest of your life, and if you want to live a better life, then we have to start removing that finish line. So that's where the mindset stuff comes into play. It's really getting you to buy in to the process and really understanding that. All the gifts, all of the benefits, it's in the process itself. It's not from hitting an arbitrary goal.
0: Yeah, I think that's the one thing I've kind of taken throughout this quarantine is with my clients. The first thing, like like I saw my client the week, uh, literally like the week of first quarantine. So he was in San Francisco, so he got it pretty early. Uh, but I remember it was just mine. I think the first six weeks was all mindset literally was just getting that down and then slowly adding in these little bits of nutrition and physical because he was in a spot where he was so kind of um uh, trying to think of the word but uh, lost the word but he was so kind of just lost in his mindset that that's what we just need to focus on is kind of like forget the nutrition and the and the body for now and focus on putting him in so when we do get him Or his mindset was compromised, I guess that's what you could say, Um, into negative. He was so negative. But then once he got back home, he's back here in PA now, uh, just flipped a switch. But it was getting him ready for that flipping of the switch. That was probably the most important part for his progress now moving forward.
1: Yeah. And if you if you kind of go into it without, uh, you know, your relationship with food is tarnished or your your body image or relationship with yourself, um, kind of like the self stories or, or the narratives that you've created in your own mind, if, if that stuff isn't addressed, eventually, it's going to show up throughout this process. So uh, it's, it's better to kind of tackle that first and and integrate that into the process you know, right from the beginning and make sure that, that we're always revisiting the mindset piece to make sure that it is progressing. Um, and it's just like anything else, it's not linear. Uh, just like physical progress isn't linear, mindset progress isn't linear, but it should always be a constant practice.
0: Yeah, and I think that the one thing that you mentioned too is kind of adding those little tiny pieces. I think the one thing that I did wrong was I looked at myself and I hold myself accountable for all those pieces usually. Like I'm someone who has a goal of stepping on a bodybuilding stage, like eventually. So you can kind of give me all the pieces at once and I'll figure out a way to hit that box like the first day. Uh, But I had that kind of expectation with my clients. And I think that's the wrong expectation for a coach to have now learning about it, kind of just adding in small things. So like the first thing I think I added nutritionally was, excuse me, was, uh, 30, was like hitting like 40 grams, 30, 40 grams of protein per meal. Like just kind of breaking it down to that small goal of hitting it. Like, like let's hit the protein goal and then it's add the other stuff and then add the other stuff. And then
1: it's look at the videos that they do and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Actually one of the advantages of, of knowing personality types is, is the ability to know which clients can manage more and which clients need, you know, smaller chunks and, and kind of, more of the you know slow and steady approach versus which ones are motivated by more ambitious goals and being more aggressive and being able to take on more more than you know one thing at a time so uh, having the personality type knowing that ahead of time uh, is a huge advantage for kind of giving yourself a head start and and creating some of those protocols
0: yeah um kind of how did your so what's your personality type
1: (laughs) i'm a i'm a type 2a which is basically we're we're adrenaline dominant um so what that looks like is we crave variety uh we get very bored of doing the same thing over and over again so that's why we're typical like program hoppers, or I call it training ADD, where it's like we do one thing and then we're like, all right, I'm, I'm on to the next thing. Um, so we're people pleasers, we're, we're procrastinators, uh, and it all comes back to adrenaline being the dominant neurotransmitter that we respond to. So we have low levels of adrenaline at rest, which means that we have more insecurities uh, lack you know lower self-esteem lower confidence but then we're highly potentiated by any increase in adrenaline so once adrenaline is increased we become much more extroverted much more confident almost like an alpha version uh the example i always give is it's like bruce brant bruce banner and the incredible hawk so you know when adrenaline's low we're like bruce banner then when adrenaline kicks in we're like the incredible hawk and um, the reason why we have this this training add or the tendency to program hop is because novelty or new things will increase adrenaline. But once something becomes repetitive, you no longer get the same adrenaline response from it. So then you, uh, we search for the next thing to get excited about. And we go all in on something because of the fact that it's kind of playing with our, our brain chemistry. So it's like, I'm going to jump into this new thing and I'm going to go all into it until I master it. And, and then it becomes boring. And we're like, all right, I'm on to the next thing so um that's that's my personality type as far as uh what that looks like you know we factor in a lot of different things from a training and nutrition and and just overall lifestyle perspective when we know uh the personality of an individual
0: so in the book there is like a quiz Then i'm guessing right that try to that does is there like a quiz that tells you how to find your personality
1: yeah so we or? have actually have a hundred question questionnaire that will give you. Okay breakdown there's five different profiles um there is a link um i think from the the book there's a link but it's it's on my website it's totally free um yeah i'll
0: I'll link it down the show notes if people want to try it yeah perfect awesome yeah that's pretty cool i'm definitely gonna go i'm definitely gonna go try that now uh i kind of want to know because i've changed throughout the past like two years to swear mentally and everything so it's like oof. (laughs) yeah um but take me through kind of so you founded it based on, and then how did you, how did you go through it with your own diet? So you went. I remember reading your story about you stepping on the bodybuilding stage, um, kind of go through that experience. I actually,
1: um, I never competed in bodybuilding, so I did or go through it, your diet,
0: go through your diet type thing because I remember it's your story or something like that, right?
1: Yeah. So, so with my, you know, my experience was, I uh, I was an athlete growing up and um, never really had to worry about weight or. Nutritioner, I never was a thought and, um, went to, went to college and, you know, was still playing sports and was still active, but picked up a lot of bad habits and just, you know, drinking more and eating shitty food. And, and then, uh, once, once I graduated, I no longer had the activity side of things and organized sports was over, but I kept, have, I kept up the college habits that I'd picked up and, um, ended up at 250 pounds and, um, you know, really it was more of the identity that I lost in being an athlete and not wanting to see friends that, you know, knew me as an athlete. And so I, I isolated myself and I avoided social situations and I thought I need to get this weight off as fast as possible, um, so that I could get back to my normal life. And that led me down a dark path of of chronic dieting and severely restricting calories and obsessively doing cardio and um I I had this number in my mind, like if I got below 200 pounds, then all of a sudden I'd be happy again. And I would get below 200 and I'd rebound back and I would rinse and repeat that process over and over again. Um, ultimately, you know, I I tried, I I don't even know how many different protocols, but I did, you know, challenges and meal plans and everything that I possibly could, um, spent a lot of money on ridiculous supplements and whatever else. (laughs) Uh, so, um, eventually I was, you know, kind of frustrated and fed up and I was, um, at a, local gym and uh they had i just done a challenge that i ended up getting to my lowest weight of about 160 which uh you know i i developed some pretty severe uh orthorexia as far as being hyper focused on clean eating Um, i hated my body even though i thought like if i get below 200 i'll be happy well there i was sitting at 160 and still not happy at all actually hated my body even more then than i did when i was really overweight Um, and i ended up uh, having some some pretty epic binge episodes and really was just frustrated and what i noticed was that the people at the gym that i was going to they were doing the same thing they were doing these six-week challenges and they were losing weight and then gaining it all back and then signing up for another challenge and when i started to see other people suffering the same way that i was that was really like the first light bulb moment was like there's a fundamental flaw in what's happening across the board in the diet industry? So I became really obsessed with education, and I wanted to learn for myself. Of like, you know, I figured I'm smart enough; I can kind of dive in and, and figure this out. And um, I became really just—I I wanted to get every certification I possibly could. And did ISSN and Precision Nutrition and NCI and uh, NASM, and you know, literally, I, I think I have seven or eight at this point. I, I lost count, but. I just wanted to learn and, and understand for myself. And um, that helped because I started to learn the science behind, you know, human metabolism and nutrition and macros and all that stuff. But uh, it still kind of left me with, with a little bit of a a missing piece because I started working as a nutrition coach and I was working for a macro company, but within that company, they were very um, I'll say formulaic in their approach. And that, you know, it was like kind of an algorithm and everybody gets kind of the same general macro plan. They didn't really factor in much as far as individuals go. And um, I was seeing a lot of people struggle even with, with macros and even with what I thought was kind of the solution. Um, and the, the next light bulb moment for me was when I had a uh, conversation with my first mentor, who's a uh, Christian Thibodeau um, T nation writer, somebody that I followed for a long time. Yeah. And um, he, basically was the first person to tell me like all of my previous failures were not my fault. It was just a lot of the stuff that I was doing didn't fit my personality type. And so I started working with him and he, he kind of, you know, was the first person to expose me to, um, I had researched a little bit with, uh, what Charles Poliquin had started, um, looking at neurotransmitters and how they impact training. Um, but, uh, Christian Thibodeau really took it to the next level as far as helping me understand the connection between, neurotransmitters and the role that they play in nutrition training and lifestyle and um once he explained it to me it was like it was like this giant weight fell off my back and it was it made so much sense and then um i you know i was kind of mentoring under him and you know educating myself on that process and um, i've always had a passion for psychology so it, it kind of fit in line with what i really enjoyed anyway and so i really um just went all in on the research on that side of things, and and it became uh, a passion of mine to help people understand that a lot of the reasons that they failed were, were not their fault. That that no protocol out there uh, really starts with understanding who you are as a person. And there was this gap uh, because you know the same protocol, even you could be the best macro prescriber in the world, but if the client can't sustain it or adhere to it, then it doesn't do anyone any good. So uh, you know that's that's really where kind of the whole. The whole path and i mean i skipped over some parts just to kind of keep it a yeah. little bit shorter but okay. uh you know there was a lot of uh there was a lot of turmoil in there a lot of of, of struggle as far as just you know, frustration and trying so many different things and nothing worked. Um, so learning about the principles of, you know, understanding your personality type and neurotransmitters and, and how it all plays out in, in nutrition and training and lifestyle was, uh, was something that, you know, helped me personally. And now I've been able to, um, at this point, we've had over a thousand clients who have gone through the process of, of, you know, personality-based transformation, um, and, and the results have been, you know, pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Uh, i want to retract to part of your thing i think in the beginning you said you died and let's get to 200 pounds um i think this is the the problem with the diet industry is that they always think well, we can get you to a certain way and you'll look this way uh, putting a number on how you look is or how you'll feel at that end is probably one of the biggest problems i find with a lot of with a lot of my clients, that's the biggest one I find is like they always look at the scale and kind of want to get into this discussion because I think this is the biggest one of the biggest things, especially with personalities like you were talking about. People will freak out with looking at the scale. I know I do it sometimes. Um, I know plenty of people who just do it con- consistently uh every single day they'll look at it and they try to get it lower and lower and lower or if they're gaining they're just going to keep trying to eat higher and higher and higher expecting to get these results and that's not how it getting to numbers not going to give you happiness that's what i'm trying to get at
1: yeah yeah that's exactly right and and this is something where uh, we set these arbitrary numbers and they're you know typically There's a reason behind it. Um, Sometimes, you know, we can just like pull it out of thin air, but most of the time we have this number that we associate based off of a previous version of ourselves. So it's like, well, in high school, I was, you know, 130. So that's the number I need to get back to. Or I felt my best when I was playing sports in college and I was this weight. So that's the way. So we typically tie it back to something in our past. Not all the time, but most of the time, um, or there's there's a story that's kind of been created about you know what that'll look like that uh, you know oftentimes we see people chasing uh, salary you know a certain uh, income and it's like well if I could just make six figures then I'll be happy there's there's usually some sort of a you know mental connection to that uh, what we think it's like the I'll be happy when dot 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 and we insert some form of external variable that we really don't have total control over. Uh, We can control the process, but we can't control the actual outcome. Uh, And what we see, and this is repeated in, in psychology literature, is that when we actually get to that number, one of two things happens. We either aren't any happier or we realize that, you know, it, it wasn't what I thought it was. So we pushed the goalpost back. Um, so it's either kind of almost like depressing. It's like, well, I got this and, and now I'm not any happier. So now we, it leaves us either lost or we think, oh, that wasn't the number. It must be this number. So it's like, you know, for me, it was like, oh, I got to 200 pounds. That wasn't it. It must be 190. Then I got to one ninety. I'm like, nope, that didn't change anything, must be one eighty. And I chased that all the way to one sixty. And I probably would have kept going if my body didn't like completely rebel against me um, because of the damage that I did to it and, and how restrictive I was. Um it so what we see is that you know and and this is the same thing with people who chase financial marks it's you know oh well six figures wasn't enough i need multiple six figures and that's not enough i need seven figures and it becomes this never ending cycle until you actually connect it to some form of intrinsic or internal you know reason so uh, you know, getting to the root of of why does that even matter in the first place? Um, you know, when we look at uh, again, this is you know coming from psychology research. There's there's this paradoxical effect that the, the harder that we search for for the outcome or or meaning, then the more it eludes us. And, and the example I always give it's like if I if I have a goal of falling asleep, and I focus really really hard on trying to fall asleep, the less likely I am to actually fall asleep. And yeah. that's the same thing that we see in literature on on weight loss is the harder I focus on that external validation of the scale, the more likely I am to not move closer to the number I want to get to. So um, it's interesting because it, it creates this awareness around how far you are from that actual goal, which can lead to to frustration. Um, the better focus is what can i do now today that eventually will move me in that direction so it's taking most of your focus on the daily actions and habits that will move you forward uh, but not being so focused on this future-based outcome that we really can't control right we can control what we do you know let's say i i start you know dialing in my nutrition and training and do all the right things i might not ever get to that number but i can control those variables that will move me in the right direction
0: yeah, I think it's in literature. I think in the financial things, it's always that example of like, I think it's like $75,000 or something. Like once you make that much money or over, it's like they did a survey and everybody feels the exact same way. Like the level of happiness is the exact same whether You're making 75000 or you're making 120000 Yeah. Like because you have enough to basically live anywhere you want. Well, not anywhere you want, but you have enough money to support yourself in a good way. Um, and I think also when it comes to looking at the scale or like something like you said, like trying, focusing on falling asleep or focusing on something and it eludes you, I think it comes from, I've noticed it because I've done it. It comes from probably the amount of stress that it causes. That's why you always get the opposite result, especially when it comes to the body, because the body does not respond to stress very well. Like you are like technically when you're working out, you're putting your body under stress, you're supposed to, that's how you grow. But when you put your body under stress, you're putting yourself in a fight or flight mode, which kicks in a ton of different things that could go possibly wrong with digestion and biofeedback, all this stuff that could possibly go wrong that a lot of people don't see, which is why I say stress is probably one of the number one reasons why a lot of people, I guess you could term, you can make it the term fail but it's because they don't get their stress under control.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And even if you just think about the the mindset side of it, if I'm, let's say, 30 pounds away from my goal, and I'm so focused on that 30-pound goal, and then I wake up and, and I'm up a pound, well, now I'm 31 pounds away from my goal, and that's the focus. Like, your mind, if you're so focused on the outcome, you're going to immediately think, oh, well, now I'm even further away from this ambitious goal that I have versus if I focus on what I can do today and I check the boxes and I think, you know what, I, you know, I drank my water, I I got my veggies in, I hit my protein, I, you know, got my workout and I did all, you know, I got to sleep on time. Uh, It doesn't matter what the scale says the next day, it's irrelevant. You're just going to check those boxes because you're focused on the present moment. And that, that goal, while you can still pay some attention to it, I always use, I throw out an arbitrary number because people like Percentages. I always say like 90% of your attention should be on what you can do today, uh, the daily actions and habits that are going to move you forward. 10% can be kind of like more on the the future base. Like, what do you want? Just so we have a direction. Like, I know I want to move towards this goal. About 10 percent of our attention there but most of the time it's i know that if i check those boxes every single day more days than not because it's never going to be perfect but if more days than not i check those boxes eventually i'm going to move towards that goal where i actually land you might land short you might land on it or you might land past it um it doesn't matter and that comes back to kind of what we talked about earlier which is sometimes we we need to remove those those finish lines altogether and know that there really isn't an end point because you're still gonna you know want have a more you know be fit and be healthy for the rest of your life so there's really no end game it's just having some benchmarks along the way
0: yeah that's the way i you basically described exactly how i talk to my clients i'm like just check the boxes for the day i was like let me do all the worrying with your data and your photos i was like that's what you have me here to do it's like you're i guess technically like you're the athlete Let me be the coach. Like you like you worry about the little things that you can do every single day to get us to a better result, but I'm here to kind of guide you to the greater result. Like I'm the one who needs to worry about where you'll be. Yeah. Like kind of like it's like I give them kind of a goal, like you said, like they have a future goal of what they think they'll look like or what they want to what they want to have or what they want, like whether it's build muscle, loose body fat, and stuff like that. And I think it's good to have that. But that can also cause a sense of fear of failure. And I think I read that in your post the other day. Uh, One of the best ones that I kind of think I've read recently, which is like the fear of failure is the number one reason you're stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you get people out of that mindset of fearing failure? Because it's really tough for me to kind of talk about it just because it came from learning for so many years how to do it that I don't fear like creating this, like, something that could fail like podcasts simply like you would never know if they fail or not but in your mind they might mm-hmm. but it's also like how do you develop in someone to get rid of that fear of failure i know it's probably a process for you to
1: describe but try your best <laughs> yeah yeah no it's, it's a great question it's definitely a process and there's there's a couple different parts that we look at uh, the first is understanding you know what fear of failure actually is and it, it's playing out an outcome in your mind that hasn't actually happened yet. So if I am, let's say it's fear of failure in a dietary sense. It's the fact that, well, I'm not going to be able to stay consistent. I'm not going to be able to lose the weight. So you're playing out an outcome that hasn't actually taken place. It may have taken place in the past. So you may be looking at, oh, I tried diets before and that's how they ended. And that's oftentimes what it is. Like if you are somebody who's like afraid of a box jump, you may have tried a box jump and and crushed your shins or something. So now the next time you try to box (laughs) jump, you're like, "Uh Oh, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of failing because of a past experience, but you're still playing out an outcome that hasn't actually happened yet. Um, the only way around it is through it. So, you know, there's something with, with fear that we often do is that we, we try to avoid it and we try to pretend like it doesn't exist. And that's actually the opposite of what we want to do. It's, it's more effective to Make friends with your fear to name it, to actually identify it. Because sometimes we don't even know what it is that we're afraid of. We don't even know what the fear, that failure. What does that failure actually look like? You know, can we can we identify it? Can we describe it? Can we become comfortable with it? Uh, Once it becomes kind of almost like human, um, now we know that like the path around it is through it. It's kind of you know. There's different elements of this in in therapy, like immersion therapy and and that sort of thing. But for some people, it has to start with the smallest step. The only way to realize that the outcome is not going to happen is to do it. Like you can't get around it. You have to do it. Um, So if there's a way to break it down into more actionable chunks, that's like, you know, Fear of failure. I don't care. Again, like this is we're talking about the outcome. Uh, let's break this down into what can we do today, uh, and and take action on that, and and not put our attention on on that you know that future based outcome that hasn't even happened yet. Um, or sometimes going through the process of identifying what happens if you do fail. Uh, does your life end? Is you know sometimes we we have to really walk through the process of. What's the worst that can happen and and becoming comfortable with the worst case scenario, this was actually a uh, ancient samurai technique if you when people when samurais were gonna go into battle, um, the night before they would meditate and they would literally visualize. The worst thing that could possibly happen to them and they would they would meditate they would visualize like their family dying and and all these horrific things and the thought process behind that was if i go into battle and all of those things have already happened to me you can't take anything away from me so i'm going in with like the best like i have nothing to lose mindset so if you if you can actually go through the process of visualizing um what's the worst case scenario and and typically it's not life-threatening unless it's you know maybe you're afraid of jumping out of a plane or something and, and, you know, uh, your parachute doesn't open, but like, you know, if we think about, all right, what's the worst case scenario with, with dieting, um, then you start to realize that your, your life can continue just fine. And, and maybe you got some experience. So then what's the takeaway from that? If I don't hit this goal, uh, you know, where does that leave me? Well, maybe I you know, gained more experience and I learned something about myself and there were some parts of the process that I enjoy so I can take that away. And then we start to, to pick apart, uh, you know, even in a worst case scenario, can you see that there's some positives from that? And all of a sudden it becomes less and less threatening because we've identified it, we, we've named it, and now we've gone through, uh, let's say that that did happen, now what? Um, so those are some of the, like the exercises that I'll go through, uh, and oftentimes, you know, we have to look at at past, uh, you know, stories that we're telling ourselves, and uh, that can be, you know, there's a lot of people who have gone through different experiences, and and I recommend as just a general process to, you know, to start kind of. Going through some of those, those stories and peeling back the layers and, and understanding that, um, you know, what happened in the past doesn't have to repeat itself, uh, you know, kind of going into things with more of a growth mindset. Uh, and that's really like the other part of this process is, is understanding, um, pulling from other examples where you weren't good at something and then you, through practice and repetition, you got better at it. So, uh, you know, like when you did your first podcast, you probably weren't as good as you are now. And so if you were to have have something else in your life that you were like, you know what, I'm really, I'm not confident in this. I'm I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Well, now you have a tangible experience. And this is why I love working out, because when we all started, we weren't very good and we had to get better through time and practice and reps. And now that's a tangible thing that I can pull from from another area of my life and apply it and say, you know what, Uh, all those past diets that I failed. That doesn't mean that I'm going to fail what I'm doing today because now I have more experience. I have more reps under my belt. And so now we reframe it as a positive versus trying to repeat the same story. The only time, and and this is, you know, I'll, I'll kind of end with this. The only time that history repeats itself is if the action doesn't change. So if, okay. you know, you're doing the same thing that you've always done, then yeah, the result's probably going to be the same. But if you're taking a different approach, then those past stories um, aren't relevant because now you've gained more experience and what not to do. If they were, if you consider that to be a failure, I look at that in, in all of the other diets that I've tried in the past coaching company that I worked for, they taught me a ton of how not to coach. And I'm a better mm-hmm. coach now because I learned a lot of things that I shouldn't, that I didn't want to be doing. Um, so it's, if I kept doing the same thing, then the outcome would have been the same. So that's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, it's, you know, my past is going to repeat itself. It's only going to repeat itself if you don't change your action.
0: Yeah. And I've related to another thing you kind of talked about too, which is, well, first off, I want to touch upon the point where I think of it from also from a business aspect where if you have a fear of failure with your business, you're going to keep thinking that like the one thing that you did successful is kind of that keep, it keeps going through your head that you're successful when you're not actually taking, like you said, taking action. And this leads me into my point, which is fear of failure. Wow, I can't speak English. I just got off another podcast, so I'm a little mind-boggled myself. Um, But fear of failure uh, also can equal the cost of actually doing and the fear of doing. Um, Like you mentioned, I think with all this, is that those two kind of coincide together. Like to truly get past your fear of failure, you have to take action. Yeah. Um. So what to you guys, I guess the listeners is, what is your fear of doing rather than your fear of failure? Because I feel like people go, oh, I'll do that. Oh, I'll do this. And then when it comes to it, they're like, eh. They're like, I don't feel like by the time it comes around, they're like, they have a fear of actually doing it because I think they think it has a greater cost when there's truly less of a thing like people want to invest in a coach like what's your biggest fear with actually investing in a coach like it might cost you a little bit but you may get so much benefit out of that experience like you said that you might actually like benefit from it
1: yeah i always try to flip that on its head too and and say what's the cost of not doing so if you tip it, if you analyze it, most of the time, the cost of not doing is much greater than the cost of doing. So if you, you know, to stick with your example of investing in a coach, OK, whatever that investment looks like, it doesn't matter. it could be five thousand um, dollars. What's the cost of not doing? Well, what's the cost of? not being able to figure things out for the years that it might take you to, to find your way to, you know, going through a lot of different hardships. Like if I think about the cost of not doing, um, all the previous diets, all the supplements I spent money on all of the the stuff that I did in the, in the wrong way that, that led me to that point of finally getting it right. If I had just invested in a mentor and a coach from the beginning who could teach me, uh, it would have saved me a lot of years and a lot of money. So I always think about it. the reverse way what's the cost of not doing oftentimes people think about the initial cost but most of the time you're going to get more value back than you invested into it um which is how any sort of you know exchange happens like if i even if i buy uh it doesn't matter i could anything be uh buy a a, i don't know bicycle whatever whatever it is like the, the value that i get back from that is you know is going to be more than the investment. That's how we make decisions. We always look at it, even if it's a, you know, a donation. If I donate money, I'm, you know, I'm getting more value back from how I feel about donating to charity than the money that I spent to donate. So it's always this, we have this kind of unconscious um, thought process going on in our brains of, of what's the value that I'm going to get back from this. Um, so typically when, when somebody is, is, scared of putting out the money they're not thinking about the value that they're going to get back and they're not thinking about the cost of not doing so sometimes it's just shining that light on what would that look like if you didn't do it um and to your point about not doing uh, that's the the number one way to guarantee that you stay exactly where you are if you're happy with where you are that's great but if you're not then not taking action is guaranteed to leave you in the same spot
0: yeah i think not taking action that was probably one of the biggest I think I was, just, I was just talking about this uh, with my buddy Dean on the last episode that we just recorded. Uh, living a life with regret. I feel like not taking action, you're going to regret so much of it. And it's going to cause, and like I kind of mentioned with the stress, um, I regret not making this earlier, but I don't have a regret of not doing it anymore. But living a life without regret can help you relieve stress, but it also makes you feel like you're growing in some sort of capacity because if you stay the same, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, like my buddy says, you're kind of dying in a sense, like staying comfortable. is not the thing that humans do. Like you always need a new pathway. Uh, But the only way to do
1: that is to actually take action. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'll even look at it as uh, a lot of people are afraid of making the wrong decision and I'll, I'll take the wrong decision 10 times out of 10 over inaction. So you can give me the wrong decision every time I'll take that over doing nothing because the wrong decision is going to highlight to me that I'm not moving in the direction that I want to be so how I can change and and make a new decision and change course and and at least I have the information now. But if I just remain exactly the same and don't do anything, I'm going to stay stuck and I'm not going to have any information to use. So I'd rather take the wrong decision versus just doing nothing uh, because at least there's a learning opportunity in the wrong decision.
0: Yeah. And I have a last kind of topic I have too is um I think this is an interesting thing with clients because you kind of mentioned it before about maybe weighing in heavier the day before. But um what do you do when a client kind of beats themselves up for maybe either going over their macros or not following protocol or not checking the boxes for a day? Because um, I think this is one that I get fairly often with people who come to me for advice or like, oh, I keep like sometimes like I didn't hit the macros or uh, they're stressing that, they, that they're that they going to go over and like it's like they're like they have like they feel kind of hungry at the end of the night and they're fearing of going over. I'm like, you're texting me this. I'm going to give you the answer and the answer is pretty simple. Follow what your body wants to do. Make up for it the next. It's not like just get back on track the next day. I think it's pretty simple. I just want to get how you kind of um, attack this when a client kind of contacts you saying that they're going to go over their macros or they didn't check or they didn't follow protocol.
1: Yeah, so I always try to bring it back to the mindset side of, side of things because that's all it is. When when somebody has that mindset, um, typically they're feeling like all or nothing, all or nothing mindset. Um, either I'm 100% on or why even bother? Yeah. Uh, if somebody gets frustrated over one single day, uh, they really don't have things in perspective as far as what consistency really looks like, uh, which we we know from from the literature that uh, all or nothing mindset is one of the biggest killers for people actually achieving their goals. So we have to work through that. Um, and so it helps to kind of put things in perspective as far as um you know unpacking the reasoning for why do you feel that way why do you feel like if we can put things in perspective and i say um there's one day that you you know it doesn't matter if you ate 10000 calories one day uh if we put that in in the context of 365 days why do you feel like that day has more importance than every other day where you are consistent, um, to start to get to the root of the issue. Um, oftentimes it's, there's, there's a pressure of like, well, if I don't do this, you know, then I'm not going to get to my goal. And then we start to realize that they're outcome focused, just like we talked about. Um, so now it's a matter of, you know, let's frame this in a different way. Um, you know, what does consistency actually look like? Does that mean that we're, uh, you know, pretty close on macros? So sometimes there's there's programs out there that, that kind of set this frame for clients, which sets them up to fail. It's like, you have to hit your macros spot on every single day. And if they don't, they're like, you know, do better, follow the plan. And that sets up the wrong mindset. Um, if I can set the framework of like, you know, if 80% of the time you're consistent and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, that's, that's very consistent. So what does that look like? Well, that gives us some wiggle room now. So, you know, maybe it's five out of seven days and now all of a sudden it's like, well, did you check the boxes here? And yeah, there's, there's obviously times where if you, um, are consistently inconsistent, then it's not, you're not going to make progress, but we can assess like what have your actions and behaviors been like for the last six weeks and what direction has that moved you in? All right. Well, if it hasn't moved you in the right direction now for the next six weeks, we have to change your actions and your behavior. So um, it's just comes down to framing what that actually looks like for the individual um, and not getting. So, you know, I always look at it in terms of, um, you know, putting it in perspective to the big picture. So, you know, you made this choice, uh, you know, why does that choice impact your next choice? Typically, it's because they feel like, well, if I messed up once, then I might as well go off the rails. And sometimes that comes from from the restrictive mindset, like, I can't eat this, or I can't eat that. And then all of a sudden I did. And now I'm like, well, I broke the rules, well, I might as well break all the rules. And like, let's remove the rules altogether and come from a place of, uh, more flexibility and, and understanding that, uh, you know, it's it's that mindset in particular that's really uh, moving you further away than it is helping you. So uh, oftentimes we think about being perfect as, oh, well, I want to get there faster, so I'm going to be perfect. And it's it's ironic because it actually takes longer when you're focused on perfect versus consistent.
0: I always, so when I focus on consistency with a client, uh, once I get over that mindset hump in the beginning, i uh, I actually kind of like give them a little challenge, like you said, uh, like five out of seven days. I'm like, at five out of seven days, be within like 10 grams of the macros. Uh, I don't know if that's kind of a good teaching habit, but I want to show them what the power of actually being consistent is like. And it kind of shows how they feel. Like they come back to me that next week and they're like, like they go from like a six or seven to like a nine. On their scale that i have them rate themselves on for the week and they're like i feel so energized and stuff like that i'm like you were consistent and it's like i look at their macros i see how well they hit them and they're like damn near pretty close to what i what i challenge them to do and i think it's kind of a thing too that some coaches need to do which is challenge sometimes you got to challenge your clients to actually make them take action i think that's like the thing that I used, that's like the best tactic that I used was challenge them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it can definitely help, especially if you're helping them align with the fact that when they made those choices, they felt better. Now, all of a sudden, like the objective is to make that choice consciously more times than not. So if I know that doing certain things improves how I feel, um, and I can give myself the space to make conscious choices more often than not, I'm going to choose the thing that made me feel my best. And if I don't, I'm going to be very aware that i made that decision and maybe it was a conscious choice maybe not and i know that that doesn't make me feel my best so the next choice is going to be a better one and that's where you know you want you can stop that cycle anywhere in that in that you know when you're going down that rabbit hole of oh i made a mistake so i'm going to keep screwing up you can interrupt at any point in time and say the next choice is going to be a better choice it helps when you've made those choices that you know make you feel better um, because now you have that to pull from, from past experiences of, okay, when I did this and I hit my macros more consistent, more consistently, I know I felt better. So let's get back to that.
0: Yeah. And then last kind of little thing too. I kind of always wanted to know this cause it's kind of the, the hardest thing, but I feel like I need to do it for one of my clients and they're probably, this episode's going to come out a while from us. So I don't know if they're going to hear it. Um, uh, but how do you approach maybe people who don't need the macros, like in a sense of, it actually does them more harm than it does good. Have you ever ran into a client like that where you honestly tell them like you may need to just like teach them how to intuitively eat uh, eventually? Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I feel like I've been stuck in that part where they they get way too stressed for it. And I'm like, you're not ready for me to just even prescribe you macros. I just need you to eat. Give you like give them a little outline, and that's it and then tell them to just kind of just try to stick to that as best as possible, but not
1: like go too far over every day. Yeah, for sure. I have, a, I have a lot of clients like that. And there's, um, I, w- I look at everything, uh, as, as a tool that we're adding to the toolbox macros are just a tool intuitive eating is another tool. It depends on the context. And you want to be able to ideally end up with both. So what I do for most of my clients is get to them to a place where, they have macros to use on days that they want to use them and they have intuitive eating to use on days they don't want to track. Um, so I, I prefer to teach both as we're kind of going through the process okay. and there's there's a time and a place. So there's some people where um, if they want to be super specific, then we're going to lean more on macros if they're like more lifestyle. I just want to be healthy and fit. I don't want to obsess about it, uh, but but there's there is the dark side of macros, which is they can become obsessive. It can become something like that's controlling, where somebody um, gets anxiety or stress if they can't hit their numbers exactly. Uh, they don't want to go out and be social because how do I track this restaurant meal or how do I accommodate for you know drinking and then you know making bad decisions and now my macros are screwed. So why am I going to even track? And um, so there is the dark side of macros, but I like to look at uh, why. I focus so much on like habit and behavior change is because, you know, that's really the going to be the the foundation for everything, Um, whether you're using macros or not, if you have certain habits and and behaviors that you're doing consistently, no matter what, um, that's going to be the foundation. So it's like, are we getting in some movement? Are we drinking enough water? Are we getting veggies in? Are we, you know, eating protein? just some simple habits that will kind of serve us. And then um, if we want to get more specific on the intuitive eating side of things, um, I go through different practices to help people, um, you know, understand biofeedback without having numbers. So, you know, have you ever actually taken the time to sit down with just your food and like slowly eat and appreciate like all the senses that are involved and be fully present and and tune into your hunger and your satiety and, you know, what your food tastes like and smells like a lot of people are kind of rushing through or distracting themselves while they're eating and, you know, going through, you know, on their phone, whether, whether, and they don't even pay attention to the fact and they finish a meal, they're not even aware that they finished the meal and they're still hungry because they've never actually paid attention to it. And that, that whole process starts in the brain. So if we're distracting ourselves, uh, we're really not helping. Um, so getting people to go through the process of, of actually mindfully eating first. Um, and then, you know, honestly with, with intuitive eating, it's, uh, it's being able to tune into that mindfulness more, more often than not. And, and so, You know, there's ways to create a framework around it as far as like, all right, we're going to focus on three meals per day and two snacks. Here's kind of what the composition is going to look like. And then we're just going to, you know, pick, pick and play as far as food choices. But for the most part, like, you know, half your plate full of veggies, we're going to throw in a protein, we're going to throw in a carb source, whatever. Um, So there's ways to kind of structure it that way. But ultimately, I want to try to remove as many guardrails as possible over time, so that the client feels in total control of, I know when I'm hungry, I know what foods make me feel my best. I don't need to weigh and measure everything. And I have a good grasp on portion sizes and how much food I need for myself. And, and then it becomes kind of like that lifelong skill.
0: Awesome. Uh, first off, Mike, I want to say thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I think you're going to do a lot of good with this episode. Uh, I want to do the last three questions. I ask the same three questions as every single guest uh, who comes on the show. Um, kind of gives them a little different perspective over different things to kind of look forward to. Um, so first question is, what three things do you think everybody should leave with after listening to this episode?
1: Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so the three things I would say that, uh, you know, your who you are as a person will heavily influence what you should be doing. A lot of people think like, well, just tell me what I should be doing. It has to make sense from your own individual lens. So think about it from the perspective of, does this make sense based off of my lifestyle? Can I see myself doing this long-term? Um, that will start to answer some of the questions as, is this the right fit for me? You know, if, if somebody recommends keto and you're like, hmm, should I do keto? Well, <laughs> can you picture yourself never eating carbs again? If not, then it's probably not the best choice. Um, so that would be number one. Number two is uh, you, you can't achieve a physical transformation without the mindset first, uh, or uh, I should say without the mindset in addition to, um, but typically the mindset first, uh, the physical results, if you get them without focusing on your mindset, it will probably be short lived. So rather than trying to avoid the work that's sometimes not fun to do, um, because it can be challenging to actually work on mindset. Um, I mean, I find it enjoyable, but some yeah, I find it enjoyable. <laughs> But um, it's it's necessary. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that, you know, community and accountability, um, uh, because of my, my goal is to, to completely disrupt the diet industry and change the conversation that we're having around nutrition. Um, so having conversations like this, uh, having a, a community of people who are not just, um, I'll say not just yes men. And in, in, in other words, we have like a lot of nutrition ideology out there where people get very, um, they get very passionate about their, their diet camp and it's like you know uh, you know you have to be this or you have to be that and uh, surround yourself with people who are open-minded um, who are all pulling for the same thing but are okay if we have different ways of getting there so you could be doing macros i could be doing intuitive eating you could be doing paleo i can be doing carb cycling it doesn't matter as long as it's the best fit for the individual we're all on the same team anyway so um, those would be kind of the three things that i would uh, leave people with
0: awesome and then next question is, what three books and or podcasts would you recommend everybody listen to or read? You can kind of give a mix of both if you want. Sure. So
1: um, I'll say that my three books is so hard because I have a million different books that I <laughs> like. I That's yeah, that's something that I've been through. Um a ton of different ones that have impacted my life in a, in a memorable way. Um, but if I'm just going like more recently, um, I'll say the first one is, um, stillness is, is the key by Ryan holiday, um, extreme ownership by Jocko Willink and, uh, can't hurt me by, by David Goggins. Um, those are the three that, that come to the top of my mind of that were relatively recent reads, but, um, those, those are all powerful in their own way.
0: Yeah, I've recently read, um, I just recently read Ego is the Enemy, uh, 12 Rules of Life, and Atomic
1: Habits. Nice. So, Atomic, Atomic Habits is one of my favorites. So, that was a really good uh, book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. You can't go wrong with that. And um, Ego is the Enemy is another Ryan Holiday. Um, he also has one called The Obstacle is the Way. Yeah, I got to read that one. It's very good as well.
0: Uh, and last question uh shameless plug time for you uh where can people find you if they want to contact you um they want to learn more about the personality diet uh neurotype training or your upcoming course with uh jason phillips kind of just anything you want to give about yourself it's your yeah, time for to shine
1: sure. appreciate it um so the book is can be found at personalitydietbook.com, Um, and then my website is neurotype training.com. That's where you can go if you want the free personality assessment. Um, and then as far as where I hang out the most, it's easiest to contact me on Instagram, which is at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner. Um, and the certification with Jason, um, you can go to neurotype cert.com. Um, and that's, that's, uh, we'll show you kind of like the, all the stuff that's going on with the certification in September. Um, so that would be all the, all the best links and resources.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'll definitely link the, the personality quiz down below. Uh, you guys can definitely go check that out. Cause I'm going to go do the exact same thing either tonight or tomorrow because I got a lot of time on my hands. Um, and you should too, if you're still in quarantine, which you, Mike, unfortunately still are. Um, <laughs> so everybody, uh, If you really enjoyed this episode, uh, definitely take a screenshot of you listening, tag uh, Mike and I, and put it on your Instagram stories. Um, I love showing love back to listeners of the podcast. Uh, Definitely go give Mike's podcast a listen. It's a pretty good one too. As he just said, he passed 100 episodes. Probably will be more by the time this comes out, but that's pretty cool to get to 100 episodes in my mind. Um, So definitely do that. Definitely go check out his book. but lastly, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of the Ace of Beta podcast.